So we're going to start a new series this morning leading us through uh, Easter, and we're going to look at the I am, some of the I am statements of, of Jesus, um, some of these, these statements that, that he made concerning I am. And I think it's fitting for, uh, for not only this time, but for even uh, what, uh, what our nation's going through uh, right now. So we're going to look at uh, some of these I am statements of Christ. And um, the first one that we're going to look at is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. All of them will be found in the Gospel of John, but this one is going to be found in John, chapter 6. So this morning, in just a few minutes, we will look at John, chapter 6, and we will look at verses 25 through 35, if you would like to go ahead and and um, uh, open your Bibles to John 6, 25 through 35, as we read that here in a few minutes. Have you ever asked yourself uh, this question, what am I seeking in life? What am I seeking in life? It would seem um, that many people in life are are seeking one thing. And that is happiness. The question is, where are they looking for happiness? So many people think happiness is found in uh, financial success or a satisfying career. If I if I had more money or or if I was doing well in my career, then I would find happiness. Therefore, they devote themselves to those pursuits. Still, others may actually believe that they will find happiness in things like sex and they become enslaved to sometimes pornography or they go from partner to partner in their life because they think that they're going to find happiness in those things. Many try many people try to find happiness in their marriage or even in their children. And even though a happy family is a blessing from God, it can never truly be our primary source of happiness. See the Bible is clear that our ultimate source of happiness and pleasure is found only in God. David wrote in the Psalms, you make, me, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is a fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. Jesus told his disciples, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. John fifteen eleven. We find the fullness of joy and pleasure forever when we seek God. In his book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer writes this, that before a man can seek God, God must first have sought the man. As Paul says in Romans three eleven, there is none who seeks after God. Tozer adds, we pursue God because and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to the pursuit, making it so we can't take the credit. Yet at the same time, the Bible clearly tells everyone, including the ungodly, to seek the Lord. In fact, Isaiah chapter 66, verses 6 and 7, we read this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So there is this mystery in that 
No one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws them, John chapter 6, verse 44. And yet we are commanded to come to Jesus and to seek Him diligently. And so we begin by seeking Him for the mercy of salvation, and we continue to seek Him for the grace to live in a manner that is pleasing to God. It's a lifelong quest. So why am I bringing this up? Well, let me ask you another question. Have you ever been hungry? Now you might be thinking, well, that is ridiculous. Everybody's been hungry. I would venture to guess that everyone in this this room's been hungry. In fact, from the moment we emerged from our mother's womb, we wanted to eat. We wanted something in our belly. Let me just say, after being 45 years old and having a baby in our home for several months now, I can tell you that babies want to eat. And when they want to eat, they want to eat now. And there's a reason why 45-year-olds shouldn't be having babies. But, but we're glutton for punishment. So, so I, I hear all the time in our house even, like with my other kids, I'm so hungry. And then dinner gets made, right? And no one wants to eat it. I tell people all the time that they really have no idea what it is to truly be hungry, especially in my house. Hunger is a warning that we're running on reserves. Our fuel tank is low. Our stomach is growling. It's telling us, hey, you need to eat. And now in our text this morning, many of the people that Jesus fed the loaves and the fish to at the beginning of John chapter 6 came seeking Jesus. But they were not seeking Jesus out of spiritual craving because they craved something spiritually, but because he had physically fed them. However, if there's a growling in the soul that will not be silent, that tells us we are empty inside. We were made to live on something more, but we are not sure what that is. We feel hungry, hunger, and we try to fill that hunger with all the wrong stuff. And Jesus says, that craving in your soul that you are having, I am the only thing that can satisfy your craving. There are several things in our text this morning that I want to draw out. However, one thing is that what they are searching for is Jesus, but they're searching for the wrong reason. The funny part is when they find Jesus, they're like, hey, how'd you get over here, Jesus? And Jesus could have said, oh, I just walked on the water, but he didn't. Instead, he confronts them. So get this, these people go through all this trouble to seek after Jesus. They find him. And he confronts them. Why? Because they were seeking for the wrong reason. They were seeking a political Messiah. And Jesus flips their thought on its head. And so if you are willing and able this morning, I would ask that you please stand out of respect for God's word as we read John chapter 6, verses 25 
through 35. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you are full of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Remember, just pause, remember he just fed them with the fish and loaves. And they say, What sign must you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. May we see you as the bread of life. Oh, God, you are all sustaining. Speak to us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There are four points I want us to see this morning. First, we'll see that they are searching for Jesus. And then we will see that they are seeing but not believing. And then we will note that only God's bread gives life. And finally, we must eat the bread in order to live. So first, let's notice this, searching for Jesus. Searching for Jesus. The miracle that Jesus had just performed was the feeding of the 5,000. It had sent the people into a frantic search for Jesus. They could not figure out where Jesus had gone because there had only been one boat that was docked at the shore And Jesus had put his disciples in that boat and sent them to the other side. And he was not in the boat with them. And so so they're like, how did Jesus get over here? When they finally discover him, they couldn't figure it out. How did he get there? And so their question at the beginning here is actually an understandable question. Rabbi, when did you come here? here. How how did this happen? However, Jesus does not go into the details, nor does Jesus talk about his ability to walk on, on the water, to take a little stroll across the top of the water. But instead, what's he do? He addresses their spiritual emptiness. 
please understand that they come to him, right? And they call him what? Rabbi. And what that means is when they, they call him rabbi, they are acknowledging him as a teacher, yet they are about to dispute his teaching. The question they are asking him means both, when did you get here and how long have you been here? Yet it is a legitimate question, but it's odd because there's nothing theological about the question. They say, teacher, but then they only want to know how he got there. The greatest teacher of all time. Teacher, how'd you get here? Not teacher, here's some huge biblical question we can't answer. We just want to know how it is that you got from over there to over here. We don't know. And the Lord immediately cuts through all of their pretend interests. They're like many Americans today, right? Working for food that spoils and not food that endures to eternal life. They didn't understand God's plan. They were like many believers today. They followed Jesus for what they could get out of Jesus to justify themselves, to support their politics, or to confirm their own culture. We follow Jesus as long as there's something in the following of Jesus for us. Jesus, I'll follow you as long as I get something out of this whole idea of following you. What's, what's in it for me? And you see the problem here, right? Yes, they were seeking Jesus, but it was for the wrong reason. They were not seeking him to worship Jesus, but instead they were seeking him for what they could get out of Jesus. They wanted to have their needs met. Why? Why would these people want to have their needs met? Well, because they're just like everybody else today, right? They were selfish. We're we're all selfish. If you don't believe that the majority of the world is selfish, just go to Walmart right now. And you will see just how selfish Americans are. Well, I don't care if I need 7,500 rolls of toilet paper. I'm going to go get them anyway. That's how selfish we are. And then when people actually need it, they can't get it. We're selfish, and they were selfish. They were just fed with a few loaves of bread and fish. If we do not know Christ as Savior, then we are especially selfish. And we will not want to honor Christ as Lord. And certainly we will not want to make Him known to a lost world. The thoughts of this lost crowd were focused on how wonderful it was that Jesus saved them from hunger. He could provide for them. Their thoughts are earthly focused. They're materialistically focused. They're fleshly focused. And they are carnally focused. They should be interested in the Messiah for who He is, not what they can get from Him. Jesus is not a tool to be used. He's a person to be sought after and loved. They should have recognized that He was the Son of God and they they should have worshipped and praised Him for who He was. 
They should have offered their lives to him and they, they should have seen that all things are his. Oh, that we would stop seeking the things of this world that perish, that we try to feed our souls with so often. Feelings and pleasure, plenty and more, recognition and honor, position and power, fame and self. It is a self-seeking and foolish world that we live in. And one day, it will all pass away. We are on this earth mere moments. And what are we doing for eternity? You see, the Christian, when something like this happens, immediately thinks, how can I show mercy? The non-Christian, when something like this happens, immediately goes into panic and says, I got to get for self all I not caring about others. What are we doing for eternity? All the things of this earth will leave us unfulfilled. Everything on this earth will leave you hungry, empty, dissatisfied, and seeking more. The things of this earth will deteriorate, die, and decay. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having nice things. It's okay to have nice things. I'm saying that we are to seek the Lord for who He is, not what we think that He might be able to give us. This is why Jesus gives His characteristic way of emphasizing what is about to follow when He says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you. And He tells them they're not looking for Him because He performed a sign, but because they ate and got full bellies. The people failed to recognize the sign and the miracle and that it provided insight into who Jesus really was. How often do we see Christians trying to substitute spiritual power with some false and useless ideal? We look for spiritual power in all the wrong places, in politics and popularity, in signs and wonders, in influence and in money. And we could go on and on, but John points to the cross and to the one who died on the cross for all spiritual power. Don't miss it. They were not wrong to be hungry and probably not wrong to look for Jesus. They were wrong for looking for Jesus for their own selfish purpose to serve their own selfish ends and so I ask you today are you seeking Jesus for who he is moving on we notice this they were seeing but not believing as powerful as Jesus' teaching about himself uh, was the majority of the people reacted with unbelief What we read here this morning took place after Jesus had just fed the people miraculously with the fish and loaves of bread. Jesus offers a rebuke to the crowd for only seeking material blessing. And he urges them, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, 
which the Son of Man will give you, John 6, 27. And this prompts the people to ask why they should, what they should do. And look at what Jesus says. They say, what should we do, Lord? And he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent, John 6, 29. Look at their response. They had just witnessed a miracle. And Jesus in person calls them to faith. Says, you need to believe in me. What, what do we need to do? You believe in me. And the crowd responds by demanding another sign. Do you find this ironic? Jesus just performed a miracle. He says, you need to believe in me. And they say, well, we'd like to. We just need another sign. Because you feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and some fish, that wasn't good enough for us. We, we need to see something greater than that. And by the way, we don't know how you got over here, but we still need to see another sign. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? What a testimony to the depravity of the human heart. Even after Jesus gives them the first I am statement, he then says to them in verse 36, which we didn't read, But I said to you, that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. How in the world do these people still not believe? Let me give you two reasons for their unbelief and people's unbelief today. First, people do not believe because they have a spiritual inability to believe because of their sinful condition. Scripture makes this abundantly clear to us. Paul said, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2.14. This is a description of man's inability to believe, and it is ascribed to spiritual deadness. In other words, you can't understand because they are dead. They're spiritually dead. The reason they can't understand is they are spiritually dead. They don't have the spirit inside of them. In another place, Paul says this, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. Romans 8, 7. Here, Paul explains unbelief by man's rebellious hostility towards God. Until you are born again, everyone is spiritually dead and hostile to God. There are only two types of people in this world. Those who have the Holy Spirit inside of them and those who do not. That's the only two types of people. Those who are led by the Holy Spirit because He's inside of them and those who do not possess the Holy Spirit. That's it. The second reason people do not believe is found in John chapter 6. The people asked for a sign, not because of the miraculous feeding was insufficient in revealing who Christ is. They asked because they did not like what Jesus was saying. Their demands for another sign was just another way to try to put Jesus off. He calls them 
to change their attitudes. And since they did not want to do that, they seek to justify their unbelief. Now here's a question. Do we ever see this happen today? Of course we do. People spend their entire lives in a world that puts God's glory on display. They receive testimony from the Bible and from Christians that is sufficient to persuade them, and yet they respond to the gospel with one objection after another. And at its root, man's unwillingness to receive Jesus is a moral and spiritual inability. People just love their sin. They love their pride. They love their own lordship over their life and everything else more than they love Jesus. They are Lucifer in Paradise Lost who declared better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. The Apologist Cornelius Van Til says this, These men are sinners. They have an axe to grind. They want to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They will employ their reason for that purpose. Oh, how the same holds true for people today. They're determined by their own God, their own Savior, their own Word, and they will find any reason after reason to reject Jesus. The unbelieving crowd is proof that the adage of seeing is believing does not always hold true. Because they saw, but they didn't believe. They saw proof positive of the deity of Christ, yet they refused to believe it. The reality is that when it comes to spiritual matters, we should reverse that principle. Believing is seeing. What I mean is that it is only when we believe that we actually see. And this is just as important to the believer as the unbeliever. How many Christians doubt that God loves them? I hear it all the time. They doubt that God cares for them. Only has their good at heart. When they go through a trial, despite the fact that they have repeatedly witnessed the faithfulness of God, much like this unbelieving crowd, we demand that God give a sign, knowing that He sent His own Son to die for us. Jesus repeatedly told His disciples what? Oh, you of little faith. If we would only believe His Word and trust in Him at all times, then our eyes would be open to seeing the sovereign hands of God that uphold us in every single affliction that we are faced with today. Faith comes not from us seeing, but from believing the Word of God. It is through God's Word that we're born again. 1 Peter 1.23 And the result of being born again is that we believe and understand God's Word. However, if we refuse to believe God's Word of Jesus Christ, then no multitude of signs, evidences, or reasons will ever penetrate our foolish hearts. One last thing before moving on. Please notice that they want to know what they could do. What can we do? What sort of work can we do, Jesus? to do the works of God. And they missed the point. Faith is a gift from God. Jesus is saying to them, the only work you can do 
is not to work, but rather believe in me, the one that the Father has sent to provide salvation through my death and resurrection. Seeking to be right with God by works rather than by faith is probably the most common spiritual error in all the world. Every false religion, including some that fall under the banner of Christianity, teach a works-based salvation. They may, in fact, teach that we are saved by faith, but not by faith alone. It's faith plus some works. However, if that is true, we would have grounds to boast, and the question would be, how many works do we need to do to add to our salvation in order to be saved? The Bible is clear that those who are saved by faith alone are not saved by faith that is alone. In other words, saving faith will produce works in someone's life. So seek Jesus and the food that endures to eternal life. Come to him as a guilty, helpless sinner and trust entirely in what he did for you when he died on the cross. And if you want to take a a, uh, flight to another country, guess what? Guess what you do? You trust the pilot in the airplane. It would be insane for you to go up there and say, Hey, uh, I don't know if I trust you a whole lot, so I'm going to help you fly this plane. Especially if you have no clue what you're doing. In the same way, it is absolutely crazy for us to tell God that you're going to help Jesus save you by your good works. When he said that he will save everyone that trusts in him. Don't trust your good works to justify you when you stand before him one day. But believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The only thing in this life that is worth seeking isn't toilet paper at Walmart. Okay? It's Jesus and the eternal life that he can give. They were searching for Jesus. They were seeing but not believing. Now notice only God's bread gives life. Only God's bread gives life. Have you ever gone out to dinner and perhaps you're on a date with your wife or maybe it's before you were married or maybe you're still not married yet. I don't know. But you go out to dinner and you spend a lot of money and you have plenty of food and it was the most wonderful meal you have ever had. You just couldn't believe it. But guess what? At some point in the future, you're going to be hungry. doesn't matter how good the meal is. This is the point Jesus is making. He's saying to them, you want more bread to eat, but it ain't going to last. The bread that you eat, it will fill you up for a moment But it's just temporary. Bread can sustain your life, but only for a certain amount of time. Even those who ate the manna that God sent from heaven, they still eventually died. The point being that the bread could not keep them alive indefinitely. This is a subtle reminder to the crowd that even though they ate the miraculous meal the day before, they're still going to die. These people are religious unbelievers. In other words, they knew the Bible. Or thought they knew the Bible. And they surely that Jesus could satisfy their doubts. Jesus fed them one meal. But Moses fed them 40 years. 
just like many religious unbelievers today. The problem was that they thought they knew their Bible, but they didn't really know their Bible. The bread that we and they craved never lasts long enough. All of the physical things that we look to for meaning eventually fade away. Listen how C.S. Lewis put it. I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. What does he mean by that? He's saying this. Things that we think give our lives so much meaning are never quite enough. We always need more. But even when we get more, it's not going to do it. We think, uh, uh, when we think uh, this event happened or this, this goal is achieved or we, we reach this milestone or we got to this point in life, then finally uh, life's going to be worth living. But it's just not. Even those who reach every goal in life still die. That's where everyone's story goes. Eventually, there will be no food in this world that will sustain you and keep you alive. No amount of money. No amount of friendships. No amount of family. No amount of medicine will keep you alive. It won't matter how many times you wash your hands, nor for how long. And it won't matter how unsocial you are. We are all headed down the same path. Every single person in this world is knocking at death's door is there any hope Jesus is the bread of life and he promises life to everyone who receives him do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give to you for on him God the father has set his seal verse 27 for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world verse 33 for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day verse 40 truly truly I say to you whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 47, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. Verse 50, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 51, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 54, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Verse 57, this is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Verse 58, Jesus is the bread that gives life that will never, ever end. And that life that Jesus promises has two dimensions to it. First, he takes the spiritually dead person and makes them alive right here, right now. Jesus brings you into a life-giving relationship with the God of the universe immediately. 
instantaneously his life flows through you and you are able to relate to him whereas before your sins cut you off from him Jesus has now brought you into relationship with the living God secondly it means that after you die physically you will be resurrected to live with Jesus forever four times in this chapter Jesus promises to raise his people up on the last day People understand that Jesus does not provide the bread from heaven. Jesus is the bread from heaven. And the only way to heaven is through Jesus. He is the bread of life. And the life he gives will never falter, it will never fade, and it will never fail. So they were searching for Jesus when they found him. They were seeking but not believing, and then we see that only God's bread gives life. Finally, notice this. We must eat the bread in order to live. Now imagine with me, if you will, that you are famished. Have you ever been super, like, super duper hungry? I used to wrestle in high school. And sometimes uh, when dropping weight, I would go stupid amounts of time. Um trying to lose weight and I would get so hungry and sometimes as an adult I get so busy I forget to eat I don't know if you ever do that but you're just doing something and then you're like oh oh yeah I forgot to eat lunch I forgot to eat this and stomach's growling and all you can think about when you're super duper hungry is food and you sit down at the table and there's a plate of fresh dinner rolls set down in front of you what would you do well you would reach over there and you'd grab one or maybe two or three I don't know you'd start eating why because the only way that you can satisfy your hunger is to eat bread only does you good if you eat the bread how do you eat the bread of life Jesus actually tells the crowd to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He is, is he talking about being a cannibal? No, to eat means to believe. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And later in verse 47, he says, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. When you take a bite of bread, you believe that it's safe for you to eat that bread. You believe that it's not going to kill you. Plus, you believe that it's going to give you some sort of sustenance for your life. And you can't eat halfway. You notice that? If if you take something and you chew it up, and then you spit it out, that's not really eating. I know some people would argue, well, I got the nutrients out of it. But you're still not really eating. You either eat or you don't eat. And the same is true of believing on Jesus. You either believe him or you don't. There's no middle ground when it comes to believing on Jesus. When you eat, you internalize the food. To sit around and think about having a great meal and how great it will last is not the same as eating. Knowing the nutritional facts in your food is not the same as eating your food. 
understanding how your body processes the food when you do eat it is not the same as eating the food. To believe is is to internalize the truth about Jesus. It is to receive Him into your soul. Thinking about Jesus is not the same as believing. Knowing the facts about Jesus is not the same as believing. Understanding how Jesus saves a person is not the same as believing. Believing is staking your life on Jesus to sustain you. Believing is a deep sense that you will die without Jesus. Believing is placing all of your confidence in Jesus, the only one who can give you life and strength for a future. Do you want to know what the best part about eating the bread of life is? You know the best part? There's no bill at the end. You don't have to pay for it. Sadly, if we were to read on, we would see that predominantly the crowds rejected the bread of life. They made excuses and said it was too hard to believe. They grumbled about what Jesus said, just as the Israelites of old grumbled about the manna in the wilderness. Believing on Jesus is hard. Believing on Jesus demands that we, re- that we relinquish all other means of salvation. Believing on Jesus means that we say, God, I can't do it. I cannot make it on my own. I will die apart from Jesus Christ. With Jesus, I am helpless. And I am hopeless. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, give me life. And that's not easy. But it's true. And it's your only hope of heaven. It was St. Augustine who famously said, You made us for yourself, and our heart finds no peace until it rests in you. If Augustine were reading this passage, perhaps he would say something like this, You made us to hunger for you, and our starving soul finds no nourishment until it feasts on you. Only Jesus can fill the emptiness inside of you. Only Jesus can quiet the growling of your soul, and only Jesus can give you life. In closing, let me be clear. It can't be an accident that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Those who came to witness his birth were fed in their hearts. The crowd that came to Jesus was fed. What it reveals to us is that if Jesus is the bread of life, then we must come to him. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. Now what's interesting about this statement is that it's really an awkward statement in the Greek. If you were able to read the Greek and you were reading this, you'd say, that's weird. Because in the Greek, there are one of two ways to say the word to say I am. Ego, which is a pronoun for I, or emi, which is the verb for I am. But Jesus uses both of them. Ego emi. It's like he's saying I, I am. 
So he says, I, I am the bread of life. And that sounds like strange. Like if I'm telling you I'm doing something, I, I am doing this. Jesus is deliberately restating the words that were given to Moses at the burning bush. When he asked for God's name to tell to the people, the voice from the bush replied, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. The Hebrew for this name is Yahweh, but in the Greek Old Testament it was translated ego imi. Jesus is staking an unmistakable claim to his deity. He's saying to the people who would absolutely understand exactly what he is saying, I am God. Sadly, the Jews were seeking Jesus for the wrong reason. They wanted him to provide for their material needs. They failed to seek their spiritual needs. They thought they could work their way to heaven instead of getting there by faith. And finally, they thought that he was the new Moses. And they entirely missed the point. That he was God in the flesh. Only Jesus could satisfy their spiritual hunger. And the tragic result was they had seen him, but they did not believe. So what are you seeking in life? Jesus is the only one that can provide satisfaction for your soul. Not only in this life, but for eternity. Are you seeking Jesus wrongly? Are you seeking Him to provide for your temporal needs, but you sense your desperate spiritual need for Him as a living bread to give you eternal life? Even worse, maybe you're not seeking Jesus at all. You're one heartbeat from standing before God in judgment, and yet you don't see your desperate condition. Cry out to God that He would open your eyes to the greatest need of all. Come to Jesus, and you will no longer hunger because He is the bread of life. Believe in Him, and you will no longer thirst. Let's pray.